do with anything, but I really liked it. Hey, everybody. My name is Aaron. I am uh, one of the worship pastors at Grace Snellville, and I am so excited to get to hang with you Grace Marietta people this morning. This is so fun. So, yeah, awesome to be here. The last time I was here was, I think, in June for Brian Zahn's prayer school. How many of you are around for the prayer school? Just a few of us. So good to be here then. So good to be back. Uh, my wife and I, we have four sons. We've been connected to Grace since 2000. So for about 18 years, I've gotten to, 19 years, <laughs> uh, I've gotten to be a part of what God's doing with the worship around Grace. And um, when we first moved down to Grace, our boys were very little. Now our boys are not so little. So we have 17, 16, 12, and 10. And one of the things that we do every night when we do dinner uh, is we sit around the table and we do highs and lows. Highs and lows. So it's kind of a rhythm for us of just connecting with our kids. How was your day? What was the highlight of your day? And what was the low light of your day? And as we do that, we did it last night, it's become just part of the normal rhythm of dinner with our kids. And it's been a very helpful thing to pause and think back on our day. What was good today? What was bad today? Sometimes we do high, low, ha, whoa. So ha is what was funny today, and whoa is like what was crazy today. And it's been good for us to have these routines with our kids, and actually I think good for us even as, um, as mom and dad in the family to have to sit there and think through on a daily basis what was good today? What was not so good today? We're in a series right now across the Grace family of churches where we're looking at the devotional rhythms of rooted renegades. How can we facilitate being a people who are rooted and renegade? And so for the last couple weeks, you've been journeying with Ben and the team through the cave where we have regular time with God in the cave in solitude. Last week, on the road, following Jesus on his way in his way to do his work. This morning we're looking at the fire. The fire, don't think of the all-consuming fire like Hebrews 12, 28, that thing. Think more of an evening fire. Think, just for thousands of years of human history, you probably have spent your evening around a fire. Only in the last couple hundred years would that have changed, where you'd be firing up a TV maybe instead. But for thousands of years of human history, people would spend their evenings probably around a fire. And so what we're looking at this morning is what it might look like at the end of your day to think back on your day. Kind of a high and low, ha and whoa situation where we're reflecting on our day. And so it's not this all-consuming fire necessarily. It's more the refining fire. And it's more the evening fire. And, and in the same way that with our kids, we walk through this exercise nightly, we try to balance it with playfulness and prayerfulness. This is how we want to go about reflecting on our day by the time we get to the end of it. I don't know about you, but usually I get to the end of my day and I am just, I don't want to be intentional. I got nothing left, you know what I mean? Like usually I just want to watch Jimmy Fallon, like I'll watch his monologue and then I'll watch him do his thank you notes kind of thing. And I'm done. I don't even care about the interviews. That's all I've got. I've got like a few minutes and I'm done. But what would it look like for us to, as the Bible says, take every thought captive and recognize there's a special moment at the end of the day, if we would recognize it, where God might be especially available to us, to our recognition, to our consciousness, if we would be intentional. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, and I'm really excited about this. Uh, for thousands of years, philosophy has been asking the question, what's the good life? 
what's meaningful, what's wisdom. And Plato, you know, forever ago said, the unexamined life is not worth living. It's kind of a famous dictum from Plato. Socrates said it like this, know thyself, know thyself. And on your sheets, I've given you a few scriptures that we're going to look at, and we're going to look at actually a lot more than this. And I also put a lot of stuff on this scripture that could be very distracting from this sermon if you flip it over. So don't flip it over just yet, all right? We'll get to that in, in just a minute. But if you look, even at the headers on this note, just praying be examined, which we'll talk about, starts with Psalm 139. Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. The question that we're asking this morning is, are we being thoughtful about our lives? Because we don't usually think about how we think. We often get into ruts and routines and can't get any traction. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were at uh, a party at John Stallsmith's house, the pastor of Grace Snellville, where I usually get to hang out. And we were over there, and there were so many cars parked in his driveway that I had to pull my car into his yard. And it was on a little bit of a slope. And over the course of the evening, while we were in his house, the downpour started coming. You remember when it rained for like three weeks straight a couple weeks ago? This was the beginning of that, okay? And so by the time I got out of his house to come home, my car was in so much sloppy grass that I couldn't get out. I just spun the tires. And it was a muddy mess getting everyone in the house to come out and push my car <laughs> to be able to get it out. Actually, John's wife, Amy, totally face-planted. She was pushing it, and it finally caught, and she was just covered in mud. It was a great moment. <laughs> it was awesome. But sometimes our, our thought processes can be like that, where we just can't get any traction. We want to change. We sing about our worship becoming revival. We sing about all this stuff, but we can't change. We want to, and we can push the gas and really go for it, but we can't get any traction. You know what I mean? And sometimes we need something to help get us traction to, to think differently about this, because if we don't think about how we think, we'll just spin our wheels and actually get deeper and deeper into the grooves that kind of got us stuck in the first place. So these days, we constantly surf the white water of texts, and tonight we'll watch $5 million every 30 seconds in ads, tweets, phone calls, appointments, meetings, and we can be so present to every distraction that comes across our radar in a day. And we can be completely absent from what's really going on inside of us, what's going on, like, ultimately affecting our sense of meaning and purpose in the world, uh, on the earth, our relationship with God. And so again, we come to this prayer exercise that we're going to be unpacking and we're going to practice together as a community this morning. I didn't put all of these on there, but I, I did give you Psalm 139. If you look at the next verse, it's, it's uh, advice to Solomon when Solomon's going to become king. And it says, the Lord sees every heart, knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. And then, of course, Paul speaking about Eucharist or communion. I just used two of his words, examine yourself. If we wanted, we could have put Moses' words in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, where it says, above all this, uh, above all else, pay close attention to your soul. Give heed to your soul. Moses is like, know what's going on inside of yourself. 
Jesus had so much to say about knowing what's going on inside of yourself and not being deceived with all the things going on outside of yourself. And David in Psalm 139 really gives us a lot of beautiful insight into how we might step into becoming more self-aware, but more than that, actually more aware of the presence of God deep within ourselves. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 139, and we're going to actually read through this entire psalm. Surely it's one of the most beautiful psalms in the whole Bible. I would put it up there with Psalm 103, bless the Lord on my soul. I put it up there with Psalm 18, I love the Lord, my rock, my strength, my redeemer. This is up there for me in the top, at least five, uh, top five psalms. So I want to read this, and then we're going to talk through a few of the uh, ramifications of what it might mean for us this morning. So, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. There's the connection with the Doritos commercial right there. Look at that. We found it. <laughs> I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful at your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days ordained for me, when as yet there was not one. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. He sees when I lie down, when I rise up, when I sit. Verse 2, he sees my externals. He sees what's going on, what's going on internally. He sees what no one else sees. And it would be wise for us as a people of faith to be honest about who we really are because God sees who we really are. And newsflash, God cannot bless who you are pretending to be. Who we are, not who we want to be, not who we ought to be, is the only thing we can actually give God. Who we really are, who we actually are. All of our strengths, our weaknesses. Our best, our worst. Our giftedness, our brokenness, our piety and our duplicity, our lust, our sloth, our narcissism, 
our self-absorption. We give all of that to God as we actually are. And then we, we recognize the external events going on in our lives can become springboards for us to understand the deeper things going on within our souls. So maybe that car that ticked me off in traffic is an invitation for me to deal with my own anger. Maybe that friend who's just always too needy is an invitation for me to be more compassionate, to deal with other people's pain and loneliness. And about 500 years ago, there was a Christian monk named Ignatius in Spain who founded an order um, called the Jesuits. And the Jesuits um, have really blessed my life over the years. One of my favorite prayer books is called Hearts on Fire. That's a prayer of a bunch of Jesuit priests and fathers. And I love these guys. And, and one of the most significant contributions that Ignatius, this old monk, and the Jesuits, his, his order, have preserved for the church is called the Examen, which is this nightly reflection on our day. It's the evening fire, highs and lows, where we ask God to show us what happened today. Was I grateful? Did I blow it? What do I need to know about that? And so this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're, we're trying to figure out where in our day were we experiencing the drawing of God? And then where in our day was our sinful nature actually pulling us away from the purposes and the fullness of our intimacy with God? God wants us, obviously, to be fully integrated, right? Fully present where we are, to see people around us, to be in the moment wherever we are. So, so many people we've seen that we haven't been present to. And a lot of us can tend to like, see the present as like a crack in the sidewalk on the way to the future. Like, who cares? Like some of our personalities, and I'm like exhibit A. I live in the future sometimes, and that's not good. I, I cannot even be where I am because I'm thinking about where I need to be next. We can really miss God in the moment. He is ever present to us, the Psalms say. We're just not often very present to him or even to ourselves. But God wants us to be fully present where we are in the moment that we are in. And it's hard sometimes because if we are present to where we are and what we're really feeling and what we're really dealing with, we recognize we, every one of us, we're saints and scoundrels. We've got this dualism thing inside of us. And Ignatius and his prayer is going to address that, like two sides of a door. We've got this beautiful hunger for God, every one of us, and we've still got something in us that undermines that beautiful hunger and love for God. It's in there. We just often don't want to pay attention to it. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 86, where David says, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Give me an undivided heart. That, that means my heart can tend to divide. And you see it in David, don't you? A man who really loved God. Like, no question. He was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. But he also really had some stuff going on that undermined his love for God, right? I mean, if you're at the point of conspiring murder and adultery, and you look at the dominoes that go off David's life, I mean, he shows that if you want something, you take it. And then his son figures out, if you want something, you take it. And he ends up dividing the whole kingdom of Israel. The whole thing is going to split because of this undermining trend within David's divided heart. And so David prays in Psalm 86, 11, 
Lord, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And then verse 12 is, and I will praise your name with all of my heart. That's what we want. We want to praise God. We want to live completely integrated. We want to live like that. But often our hearts are a little bit divided. And I got to tell you, you don't have to be a Gemini to be dualistic or compartmentalized. All right? If you guys pay attention to that ridiculousness, uh, this applies to all of us. Now, we do kind of live in an age of obsessive introspection. That's not what we're dealing with with the examine. Ignatius is not saying you just need to go within yourself and find your true essence. No, no, no. We're looking for God in our actual life. That's what we're doing. It's like rummaging through a drawer. You know it's in there. You just can't find it. We're looking for, God, where were you in my life today? And so there's basically five steps to this prayer of the examine that we'll look at, and then we'll do it together. The first is we pray for light. We pray that God would actually shine his light on our minds back into our day. And this is important. We're praying for light. We're not doing this ourselves. We're not just reviewing our day with our own mindset. Because if we do it ourselves, we're going to be, yeah, we don't actually have to put that up. Yeah, it's fine. It's totally fine. We're going to use that in a minute. Um, But it's important that we ask God to shine his light on our day because if we do it ourselves, we'll end up maybe overwhelmed with our mistakes. We'll start defending ourselves or we'll justify ourselves, right? Or we'll just flagellate ourselves like we're so unredeemable. Whoa, we're terrible. We might end up doing what Isaiah 5 talks about, calling evil good and calling good evil. We do not do this ourselves. The first step to praying through our evening fire examine is saying, God, walk me back through my day. Walk me into my heart. Help me understand what's going on. When God's speaking, we're not defending, we're listening. We're not judging ourselves. We're paying attention to what was going on within us, and we're not condemning ourselves. We're not just going back through what we remember. We're asking God, almost like like an NFL team would watch film after a game. And do you know what the the Rams and the Patriots have been doing for a couple weeks? Watching film. They've been watching film of their plays, how they can get better. They've been watching film of the other teams, figure out how they can get ready for it. And tonight we're going to see teams that have been paying close attention to their tendencies. And one of my favorite shows is this show called Hard Knocks where you get to like watch a team go through their spring training. And a big part of operating at the highest level is honest examination. And it's painful for these guys to watch film. The, the coach will show the film and pause it and go, look, you blew it there. And we don't want to do that, right? I don't want to ask God to like, show me where I blew it today. But if we're going to step into life at the level that God intends for us, we're going to have to be honest in our examination of what's going on. So we're asking God, show us what we need to see from today. That's step one. Praying for light. Number two, we're going to give thanks. We begin reviewing the day with gratitude. We walk through the day in the presence of God, and we know where were the joys, where were the delights, what were the gifts today. We're looking at the work that we did, the people we interacted with. What do we receive from these people? What do we give to these people? 
And we want to pay attention to the small things. God's in those small things, like the food that you ate, the things you saw. Where did you go? At the end of the day, just to sit and reflect and go, what did I see today? Who was I with today? What brought you delight today? Ignatius said that gratitude is the foundation of our relationship with God. I love that. And he said ingratitude is the fundamental sin because ingratitude is what's underneath coveting, isn't it? Ingratitude is what's underneath theft or envy or adultery or murder. It's because underneath those external manifestations, the spring that's bubbling up in those manifestations is ingratitude, not recognizing what I do have, not being thankful for what God has done. Gratitude, then, is the gateway to the recognition of God. It's, it's, it's like Psalm 100. Enter, enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Enter into his gates, right, with thanksgiving. That's right where we start to recognize God's been good to us. And without being intentional. See, here's the crazy thing about gratitude. Bitterness is harbored. Gratitude has to be practiced. You naturally harbor bitterness. I wish that we didn't. I wish that we were naturally like grateful and we had to practice bitterness. Ain't how it works. You naturally foster resentment and bitterness. You have to practice gratitude. Haven't you seen it? Guys, we need to recognize our lives could be a lot worse. Your life could be a lot worse. And, And the thing is, like, every month I write a check for hundreds of dollars to Georgia Power Not once have they sent me a thank you note. (laughs) I can't believe it. Like every month. I I pay them a lot of money every year to keep the power on in my house. They've never, the the president has never written me a note. Thank you for sending us this money. Do you know why he hasn't thanked me? Because he expects it. He is due that money. And if you expect something, you're not grateful when you get it. So the question is, if you're not a grateful person, what do you expect? Do you have a poverty of spirit where you receive all things as gifts of God? Do you see goodness in your life like James did? He says, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Is that what you see when you see the goodness in your life? Like, God's been kind to me. Or do you think, I deserve this? Because if you think you deserve it, you're not going to be grateful for it. So poverty of spirit would go a long way for us here, helping us to have a a better picture. Like, what do we think we deserve? God has been very kind to you. Gratitude is the least you could offer. Amen? So in this process of walking through our day, we're going to see places that maybe we weren't grateful in the moment, but then we we could go, oh, that really was a sweet time with that friend. Thank you. Wow, I had energy when I woke up this morning to go to work. Thank you. I'm healthy. Thank you. Take a second and just wiggle your fingers. Go ahead. Wiggle your toes in your shoes. You should be thankful for that. You have a body that's working. You should be thankful. There's a lot of people who would love to do what you just did. I broke my neck this summer surfing in Costa Rica. For six months, I was in this hilarious rigid cast. My left hand was shriveled up. 
uh, I didn't know if I'd ever be able to play guitar again. It's a scary time. Rehab, physical therapy, all this stuff. When you can't wiggle your fingers, you become very thankful for your health. We just daughter through our days, though, like everything is entitled to us. Guys, we should be the most grateful people in Atlanta. We should be the most grateful people. God's been very good to us. And so we walk through the day. We say, God, show us. Where have you been good? Where have you been kind that we weren't even mindful? And then we begin to thank God. We thank him. We thank him. And, and you know, as I've prayed through the examine this week, and as I've done this at the end of my day, sometimes I fall asleep before I can even get past gratitude. I'll be laying in bed, and I'll be thinking back to my day, and I'm just like, wow, thank you for that. Wow, thank you for that person. Wow, thank you for that opportunity. Thank you. And even if this is as far as you get, you're doing great. Just ending your day with gratitude is not a bad thing. But this process of the exam, and it's kind of like a drill going deeper and deeper into your soul where eventually you're going to go through your day and find some stuff that you can't really thank God for because it was offensive to God, and you know it, because you failed God, because it was sinful to God. And you're going to come across actions and emotions that you don't want to pay attention to. This examine is so beautiful at this point because we go further in to what God's doing in our day and in our lives. This prayer is not outward. It's not upward. It's towards God inwardly who's closer to us than we can even imagine. Richard Foster said this in his book on prayer. The examine is not a journey into ourselves. Listen to this. It sounds crazy, but hang with me. It's not a journey into ourselves. It's a journey through ourselves so that we can emerge from the deepest level of the self into God. So it's not just a self-examination. We're saying, God, shine your light. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Whoa, there's stuff in there that I need to address. So light, thanks, and then we get to feel. One of Ignatius' great insights, think about this, this is 500 years ago, was that we detect the presence of God and the spirit of God in the movement of our emotions. So you reflect on the feelings that you experienced that day. Were you bored? Were you elated? Was there resentment? Did you feel compassion? Were you angry? Were you confident? And you start to ask, God, what, what are you saying to me through these feelings? Did I lose my temper today? Did I spend too much time on a simple task? Usually God will show you a couple areas where you fell short. We make note of it so that we, we look deeply for the implications of that. So, so did my action there suggest that I've become overcommitted? And then we ask, what's in me that would make me want to become overcommitted? So we're looking for what's underneath the emotion. What's the source that's springing up into this pattern? Did I need someone's attention today in a way that I shouldn't have? I, I, I want to ask, what does this pattern of emotion mean about what I think about you? You can say whatever you want that you believe in God. You can say anything. Your life shows what you actually believe. You with me? So say what you want about what you believe, 
Your, sh- your life is showing what you actually believe. So you can say that you trust Jesus. You can say that you're not going to worry. God knows just what you need. But if you're a greedy person, you don't believe what you just sang. And, you know, in church, we don't tell lies. We just sing them all the time. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender. Come on, give me that. Give me that. We got to face the truth, guys. God cannot bless who you are pretending to be. And so we recognize, God, there's stuff in me that's springing out in ways that I don't want to. We recognize this is what Ignatius called our, our desolation. So with gratitude, Ignatius called that our consolation, where we, we recognize how sweet God has been to us. And when we get to this part, we recognize our desolation how we are so still prone to hurting the heart of God and sabotaging our own futures. And sometimes the climate of your day will emerge as clear as the weather. Sometimes you'll just, you'll sense it. I I have become dissatisfied in my work. I am not content in my marriage. I, I still resent that person who ticked me off. And you just begin to ask God, show me, where's that coming from? Where's that coming from? I want to show you uh, a color wheel that might be hard to see, and that's okay. You can turn over your page now and see. I've I've tried to put this down um, as a list of emotions. But listen, if you're close to the screen, you can see. If you're not, just look on your screen. Uh, look on your paper. We need to name what's going on inside of us. Okay, and here's like marriage. Free marriage advice. You ready? It's up to you to know what's going on in you. It is not up to your spouse to read your mind. You're welcome. Now, that was lots of money and time in marital counseling for me to arrive at that. So write that down. You need to know what's going on in you. If you don't, it will still be dominating you. It will still be manipulating you. And you might as well, like, name it because it's down there whether you name it or not. And we are so complicated. God has wired us so wonderfully that within just happiness, we can be anywhere in that yellow spectrum. We might be feeling, we we don't know. We think that we feel bad. We actually feel pressured or out of control. The, the, The more articulately you can give voice to what's going on in you, the more clearly God can begin to lead you where you need to be. But without some specifics, you're constantly going to be just calling it what it's not and going after where it's not. And so I gave you that sheet because, guys, the disciples of Jesus should be the most emotionally healthy people on the planet. Pete Scazzaro, like, I don't know if you've read any of his stuff. He's amazing. Um, leader on this stuff, an author and and pastor in Brooklyn, New York. Great books about emotional intelligence, emotional health, emotionally healthy church. And he basically says it's impossible to be spiritually mature and, and emotionally immature. Now, I know that we think that those are just totally different things, but God is interested in your whole being. And so if spiritually you've been in church for 40 years, walking with Jesus for 35 of them, and emotionally you're still an infant, you got a long way to go. Because God is not just interested in how many times a day you have a quiet time. 
he cares about like how long you hold on to unforgiveness too. You can't divorce that part of your life from this pious part of your life. You don't find that in the Psalms. In the Psalms, you find complete integration between there's a lot more honesty than piety in the Psalms. I mean, did you see the last couple verses of this Psalm? Let me read it to you again. I hate them with the utmost hatred. They've become my enemies. And then he's like, show me if there's anything going on in my heart that might not be too good. I'm like, I got something, David. Really? You don't see this? This is a problem, David. Jesus says we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who curse them or curse us, right? How's God going to help you, like, love your enemies that you won't admit you have? Like, how is he going to wipe away the tears that you never let yourself cry? We've got to be more honest. And in the Psalms, we see God's more interested in us being real than right. And the church, for whatever reason, well, I heard a counselor say it like this. In church, people look good and get worse over time. In recovery groups, people look bad and get better over time. Why is the church a place where we're coming as we are and recognizing God is meeting us right where we are, not condemning us for where we are not? You, here's more from Cesaro. He says, you can't get close to someone who doesn't know what they feel because they are not even close to themselves. And someone who doesn't know what they feel is very dangerous to love, actually. Because the whole thing could blow at any second. And so this is why within the great family of churches, we, we so value listening prayer and inner healing. And we value counseling. We value these things because we are a convoluted mess, a lot of us. And we need help parsing through, what do I feel? And why do I feel that? With the examine, we are saying, God, show me what I felt today that's going to undermine my love for you. We have to do our work, guys. Yeah, Jesus is in your heart, but grandma's in your bones. <laughs> and you've got tendencies that will destroy you if you are not careful. Jesus in your heart notwithstanding. You have to do your work. And I can tell you from doing months and months of rehab on my neck, I'm at 90% now. Look at this. Huh? That's pretty good. I couldn't do that for a long time. It would have been like this. I look like a robot. I didn't know this until the last year. Healing is hard. I never had that kind of injury. I've broken bones, stitches, paper cut. I just kind of thought, you know, healing just happens. Healing takes time, and time heals. And now I've learned certain injuries, time doesn't heal. Only Jesus heals. And healing is hard. If you had walked into my CT session, you would have thought that the doctor was torturing me. I walked into the physical, I, I loathed going into physical therapy. It was going to be so painful. I walked in one time, my doctor's got this guy, this old guy, he's like probably 85 years old, and he's laying on a table, and he's working on his knee, and the guy's like, dear Jesus, man, I'm like, just make him stop, God. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I 
I just remembered somewhere I have to be. Uh, I'm going to need to reschedule this meeting. And he would put me on the table, and he would twist my neck in ways that hurt so bad. At one point, I was like, stop, stop, you're going to break it. You're going to re-break it. He's like, you have to trust me. I know what I'm doing. As it felt like he was hurting me, he was healing me. What is it in your life where you feel like this is hurtful? Guys, you have to face the hurt if you want to be healed. You're going to have to maybe even walk through a process that's not very fun. But I love it. In Psalm 139, it's like, yeah, you see the delight of David. You see the piety and the beauty. And you see the evil in David. I hate these people destroy them. Is that what Jesus wants us to think about the people that have hurt us? No, we do not wage war against flesh and blood. But principalities and powers, strongholds, set themselves up against the the knowledge of the Holy One. This is how we pray through this stuff. And we recognize, just like in David, there's a heart for God and there's a heart that goes against God. We have the same thing. So, we start polite. Then we go to Thanksgiving. Finally, Uh, Sorry, sorry. Then we go to feeling, and then we go to focus. Focus. Where we're saying, okay, that's a lot. I looked at my day. I looked at my feelings. God, what's what's the one thing that you want me to focus in on? What's the one area you want me to highlight? It's basically looking for the kairos of the day, if you're familiar with that. It might involve a feeling. It might be positive, negative. It might be an encounter with another person or, or a moment of pleasure or peace or pain. We're looking at all these matters of fact and making them matters of prayer. What did I do today? Okay, that's a fact. Now, how can I turn that into a matter of prayer? You take what you've learned from all that reflection. Tell God what you need to pray about. And then you ask him, what do I need to know about? How often he'll console you, he'll give you faith and hope. You can bring the old resentment that you can't seem to shake, the the inveterate habit that you can't get free of. Bring all of it. Bring your mindlessness of just going through your day without ever giving thanks to how good God has been and ask him to help focus. Lastly, we think on the future. The future. You look at tomorrow. If you've got your calendar out, you can go, what's coming up tomorrow? How do I feel about that? Is there anything that I'm dreading? Anything that I'm procrastinating on? Why am I procrastinating? Anything that I'm really looking forward to, I thank God for that. We pay attention to the feelings that come up when we look at what's happening tomorrow. And we determine to keep our spirits full of gratitude and to keep out of our spirits anything that's going to take us away from oneness with God. So if you want a simple little acronym to remember the examine, you can do LT3S. Light. Thanks, feelings, focus, future. Say it with me. L, T, 3, S. Good. Now, you're probably going to forget the three S and you're going to be like, well, where are those three S? I don't remember. Eventually, you'll get it. L, T, 3, S. We start with light. We move to thanks. What did I feel? What do I need to focus on? And what about my future? Guys, I've given you this on your sheet so that you could take it with you. And simply pray through it. It can take five minutes. You can do it on your way home from work. You can do it on your pillow. You can do it as you will. You can modify it all you need. This is not about perfecting ourselves. It's about loving God. And just like with any spiritual disciplines, 
pray as you can, not as you can't. Start where you are, not where you should be. There's all this great stuff from Ignatius. Martin Luther had some great suggestions. Pray through the Ten Commandments. Pray through the Lord's Prayer to, to, to hold yourself to a standard. We, in our family, with our boys, for months, we've used Colossians 3 as our prayer. Like, are we becoming this kind of family? This is what we want to be. With our community at 10,000 Fathers, we've used Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Are we loving and joyful and peaceful? Are we patient? Are we kind? Are we good? Are we gentle? Uh, you know what I mean? So we go through these fruit of the Spirit. We, we've used 1 Corinthians 13, where love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. We pray through that as a matter of reflection. And I'm going to give you five quick benefits to doing this, and then we're going to just practice it, okay? Um, benefit number one, if you pray the exam and make it a discipline in your life, you'll always have something to pray about. You'll never be like, I'm going to pray, but I don't know what to talk about. You've always got your day. You've always got what you were feeling that day. Number two, like I said, the gratitude moment in itself is worth it. If you, if you fall asleep before you even get to the drill going further into the desolation, uh, you've praised God before the day ended, and that's a good thing. Number three, we learn to face Jesus where we are as we are. Like I said, we do not have to put on our best face to come to God. Think about the prodigal son. He came as a total mess and experienced what we all experience no matter how we turn, the open arms of Christ. Number four, if we pray through this, we will learn to respect our feelings. Feelings count. They matter. But if we don't attend to them, we'll miss what they have to tell us about the quality of our lives. And finally, number five, if we pray into what we've been feeling, we can be liberated of an unintended emotion can dominate and manipulate you. Attending to and praying from and about the people and the situations that gave rise to those emotions helps free us from being unwitting slaves to our emotions. Does that make sense? That's the, okay, I hope that makes sense. Finally, practically, just personally, so many of the people that I respect and admire and want to be like, if I think about like, what do I want to be like? in 15 years, in 20 years? Who do I want to be? You know, it's amazing. We always ask kids, like, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? What's your, you want to be a fireman, an astronaut? We never ask, like, who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? But when I think about the kind of person I want to be, and I think about the people who have become like I want to be, they carry a grace and a patience and a joy, a dignity that I don't naturally lean towards. I lean towards being impulsive and impatient. I lean towards uh, not doing the hard work. Where I naturally go is not going to take me where I want to be. And guys, here's one more little news flash. If you don't change where you're going, you're going to end up where you're heading. You're not just going to magically hit 75 and be full of love, joy, and peace and righteousness from the Holy Ghost. That doesn't just happen. It happens from people who've been walking with God daily. 
wants us to, to know peace that passes understanding. What are we talking about? Peace, is that just like peace, even when I don't feel like I should have peace, I have peace? No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's talking about a whole different kind of peace. It's shalom. Shalom is not, there, there's no one at war. Shalom is, is what Revelation said, when the lion will lie down with the lamb. Maybe you've heard the joke, the lion will lie down with the lamb, but the lamb's not going to get much sleep. Become aware of God's presence. Look back on your day. The day might be confusing to you this year, a blur or a jumbled mess. Ask God for clarity. to show you moments where you were aware, moments where you did move with God. Ask Him to show you what you were most grateful for. What did you give love in? What did you receive? Where do you feel most alive? Thank you. 